Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times And the things that we can all do to live a better life If times get tough or even if they don't dictate it is almost always the case At least for the rest of the year During my 50 mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas From my personal mobile studio My 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI As uh, I cruise out today It is 48 degrees It is foggy Light rain Pretty much disgusting nasty weather Unless you're a duck hunter This would be uh, a duck hunter's dream Because it would keep all the non-serious duck hunters home Uh, But for anybody else It's a pretty gross day and uh, probably take a little longer on my commute, which is good because I have 10 questions today for a listener question show. Uh, so we're going to go through your questions. So uh, this stuff comes from you guys, the audience, stuff you want to know from me. Uh, it's becoming a Monday tradition, and uh, I may have to do occasionally two a week pretty soon because I've got a backlog of questions, folks, that I, I'm having a hard time keeping up with. So some of these questions came in like yesterday, and some of them came in like two weeks ago. I'm trying to be fair and sort through them, and what can I do in the car and that type of thing. Before that, though, we have some housekeeping. And we have an extension on the contest. Let's start out the housekeeping today with the forum because it's directly related to the contest that is not over. Um, I did a show on Friday. And I said this was going to be a forum members appreciation contest. I was going to give away three member support brigade memberships. Um, and uh, all you had to do was send an email to me with the word contest in the subject line with your name and your forum handle in the body. And you had to be a forum member. and You had to have joined before we had our 4,000th forum member join, which was Thursday last week. So anytime after that, couldn't just join and participate. I said I would give away prizes to 25 75 and 125. We've had 67 entries. So you people that go, not fair, not fair. Yeah, I will get to listen until the next day or late in the day. Hey, this thing went through the weekend. It's still open. So if you haven't played, you have a chance to win. So if you are a forum member, if you want a one year free membership to the MSB, send an email to jack at the survival podcast.com. Put in the subject line, contest, just the word contest, and in the body of the email, give me your name and give me your form handle, and maybe you'll win. And what I'm going to do is at the end of today, if nobody has gotten to 125, whoever the last person is that sends me the email will get the award. Now, last means to me my time when I go to bed. It could be 10.30 tonight. It could be 12.30 tonight. You don't know. That's the way it's going to be because I'm not going to carry this thing into Tuesday. So play today because you have a good chance of winning. All right. Um, With the next thing, uh, sponsors of the day. First one, Tactical Response Gear, James Jager's group, outstanding equipment. Somebody in the forum uh, said that the tacticalresponsegear.com for preppers is like a crack dealer for crack addicts. Like there's so much cool stuff there and you just can't help yourself so make it like lace potato chips don't just buy one item christmas is coming up time to treat yourself for that prepper in your life to some cool tactical stuff check out james's site next one is the lifesaver 
Reaper 4000 water bottle, uh, available from our sponsor, Ready-Made Resources. Uh, this bottle is cool. It filters down to smaller than the size of viruses and bacteria, so it can filter out viruses and bacteria. That's pretty cool. Small little portable bottle, something you should definitely check out, available on our website. On that note, on the forum now, third set of boards down, you'll see the TSP Marketplace. We've moved the swap meet there. Um, we've moved uh, the TSP gear shop there, the MSV, the Member Sport Brigade Forum there. And some of the sponsors wanted their own boards. So like Tactical Response Gear, the Berkey Guy, um, Safe Castle, a lot of the sponsors have their own forums, MERS Radio. So if you want to communicate with those guys, go to the forum and check it out. You can do that. So contest, uh, our sponsors communicating with you, all the more reason to join the forum. So if you haven't joined the forum yet, go ahead and do it. I'll be running another couple uh, contests through the rest of the year that are going to involve forum membership. All right. Next, last but not least, if you think this show is worth more than 20 cents an episode, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You'll get exclusive content only available to members. I've talked about the other stuff for a long time. So let me tell you what I added this week, or last week. Last week we added 15% discounts from a company called Paraprints, Inc. that does satellite photos of every state and major uh, like national parks and things like that. Beautiful artistic print on your wall, but complete topographic knowledge of a given area at a very detailed level. Thought that might be nice for the prepper. 15% off just for MSB members. Um, we also had MERS Radio come up with a 5% discount for all purchases. Um, we also have a, a new ebook that came in from Solutions from Science called Squanto's Garden, uh, which tells you about the methods of farming that the Native Americans used around the time of the first Thanksgiving, what the soil was like then, how much we've lost and how to turn your soil back into that. That's free to MSV members. Oh, and uh, some of you guys know I work with Valerie Asanoff, uh, his ballistic striking product line, which is Russian martial arts, also known as Sistema. Uh, he has an ebook that sells for uh, about 12 bucks. Uh, I'm now, we have permission to put that in the MSV, and you get his ebook for free uh, as an MSV member. That's what I added last week. So I'm telling you, I know I'm going long today, but occasionally I want to back up on this MSV thing and make you realize it is supporting the show, it is why I'm going full-time in January, but I am tireless in making it an outstanding value. I do not want donations on this show. I refuse donations in the beginning when people offered them. I always deliver beyond the value of anything if people are going to pay me money. And that is what this show is built on, integrity, honesty, and doing business on a first-name basis. And those of you who have had uh, tech support issues know when something goes wrong and you send an email, the person that emails you back isn't somebody I pay seven fifty an hour. It's me. And sometimes that email comes back at midnight because I take care of my customers. So if you've been waffling on it, I don't know what else to say. That's how much I put into this. All right. So let's get on to the main subject because I don't want to turn every show into a pitch for this thing, but I do want to let you know things. Great first question. These are awesome questions, folks. These are some of the best questions we've ever gotten. I'm telling you, this is awesome. Uh, the only thing I'm disappointed about is only one's from a female. Usually I get three or four female questions. Uh, and uh, one female that sends me a lot of questions. You have one in, but I've answered so many I, I, I preempted you for some of these people who have been waiting longer. Um, 
First question. Great one. I own guns that I almost never use. Don't want to clean them all the time. So I'm looking for a method of long-term storage. He said, what can I do? Can I vacuum seal them with some O2 absorbers? You know, bury them in the ground, wrapped up in plastic and and coated in oil. How can I... uh, preserve these guns long term. Let me answer that question in two ways. First, let me answer the best way I can tell you to to long-term store your guns. Uh, Get a hold of what's called Cosmoline and coat them in Cosmoline. And uh, you can put them away in that as long as they're in a relatively dry location. Uh, They'll never rust and they'll be here for years and years and years and they'll outlive you. Um, Why do I suggest that? That's what all militaries do. Uh, When they uh, they need to store guns long term, they coat them in Cosmoline. some other things you could do uh, is, is a good coating in, uh, in gun oil. Uh, make sure the inside of the bore is coated with the gun oil as well. Keep them in a relatively clean, dry place. If you vacuum seal a gun, uh, yeah, especially if it's been oiled, that's going to work very well. You're not going to have any problems with that. Uh, for burying them in the ground, I won't say if I've actually done this or not, but you can imagine um, if one wanted to bury guns in the ground, one just might disassemble a gun so that it would fit into a piece of PVC pipe, maybe in the uh, neighborhood of about four inches, uh, and one might put that gun in there coated in cosmoline along with some vacuum-sealed ammunition, and one might take um, some of that PVC cement-type stuff and uh, cap the ends of it, and then one might dig a very deep hole um, with a post-hole digger and put said pipe into said ground and uh, build a map or maybe take a GPS coordinate or do both, and uh, also know that the general area could be found very quickly, and then uh, pinpointing the location with the use of something like a metal detector might be a good way to make sure you can always find your weapon, and if one did that, one's gun would be available no matter what happened. Leave it at that. Um, That said, let me tell you how I feel about this. With the exception of maybe a gun that's designed um, to be hidden away if we ever have the day they say will never come, which is where they take all our guns away, with that exception... I don't like the idea of you storing your guns long-term and not touching them or looking at them unless the day comes that they're necessary. Here's why. Let's think of this a little bit differently. Let's say you, uh, if you've ever traveled much, if you ever rented cars. Now, I drive my Jetta every day. I drive my truck a couple times a week. I'm very familiar with them. I get in the truck after driving the Jetta for a week. It doesn't feel unusual. I know where all the controls are. Um, I'm very comfortable behind the wheel. If I got into some type of situation where I had to immediately react, I know how the vehicle responds. I know what its braking characteristics are like, etc. When I used to travel a lot, I'd rent different cars. And I might be in three different cars in two weeks, maybe four different cars in two weeks sometimes, and different makes and models. And when I got into a new car, um, let's say, you know, got into uh, Dodge Intrepid, and even though a Dodge Intrepid's a great car, or, you know, a Ford Fusion, or a Chrysler 300, or whatever, when you got in there the first time, you had to learn where everything is, even if you've been in that vehicle before, you had to relearn it, it doesn't feel right, the road looks different, it responds differently, you become unfamiliar with the vehicle if you don't drive it for a long time, alright, if you don't pick up your guns and handle them frequently, at least once a month, you become unfamiliar with your guns. You don't know how they feel, how they shoulder, how they point, where, where your where safeties, your releases, your actuators are. You might know in your mind, 
And, and yeah, I don't spend a lot of time playing around with M16s anymore. Uh, but if you handed me one after my military training, I could disassemble it, reassemble it, service it, do everything I need to to it. But I guarantee you it wouldn't be the same as the way that I could do it when I was a 19-year-old soldier. You could literally have blindfolded me, and I wouldn't have slowed down. I could disassemble, reassemble in two minutes because it was drilled into us. This is what you do that you know your weapon, blah, 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 right? Well, I'm not saying you need that level of proficiency, but it would be a good idea for you to put putting your hands on your weapon often. So this is what I would do. I would go out and get yourself a couple. If you don't want to spend a lot of money on a gun safe, go get, maybe if you have a lot of guns, two of the cheap gun lockers, the ones that are about $120. Put them in a closet somewhere. Bolt them together and bolt them to the floor. That way if you ever have to move and take them with you, if you're not moving a giant safe, and I'll tell you what, it's not going to be easy to get them out of there. right? Bolt them into a corner. Bolt the one in the corner to the wall. Find a stud on the left side and on the back side. Then bolt the other one to it and bolt both of them into the floor joist. It's probably more secure than a safe in that situation, especially inside a closet. So your guns are safe. Go up there once a month. Keep inside one of your gun safes a little jar with a rag impenetrated with gun oil. Take out each gun. Wipe it off. Use every action, you know, cock it, decock it, check the safety, shoulder it a couple times, wipe it off, put it away. It'll take you about 30 seconds per weapon to do this, once a month. That way your guns will be stored, you'll stay familiar with them, because the day that you actually need them is not a day that you want to need to uh, become familiar with them, and I'm giving out first names now, so that question came from Eric. Eric also had a uh, another question for me. He said, can you do a show with detailed explanations on how to build solar and wind on a small scale? I really can't any more than I've already done. And I'll do some more things that will give some more information. But audio has its limits. And I can tell you basically in a couple seconds, you know, what a solar uh, power system would be like. And that is solar panels run through a charge controller to a battery bank, battery bank to an inverter, to an appliance. And that's it. And if it's 12 volts, you can run directly off the battery power and you get more efficiency. I, I can make a show out of it. I can make it entertaining. I can inspire you to go do it. But I, it's really hard without pictures or video to show you one. Now, I do plan on building a solar backup system soon and kind of making a video out of it for you guys to see exactly how to do it. But if you want detailed explanations, there's a product called Earth for Energy. It's on my website. I'll put a link in today's show notes. It's an ebook, and it is an exceptional explanation of making solar and wind. Guy tells you how to make windmills out of PVC pipe. Uh, he tells you how to make your own solar panels on the cheap by buying cracked and dinked and shipped cells off of eBay and tinning them together and building your own solar panel. Or how to just use pre-bought materials so you can do it any way you want. Uh, and he gives you every different method from grid tied uh, to battery only to grid tied with battery backup, how the systems go together. It's about 50 bucks. Uh, I'll tell you, it is an affiliate link. If you buy it, I get a small chunk of change out of it. I don't I think I make 10, 15 bucks, something like that. Um, but it's worth it. I bought it myself, and I understand solar and wind and backup systems and the whole thing so much better now. It was money well spent. So that would be the resource I'd recommend there. Um, the next question is actually two. They come from Scott and Mike. Both asked very similar questions, so I figured I would answer them because two coming in on the same week. Obviously, there's still a lot of interest in this. It's on Biltong. 
The first question on the Biltong is, Biltong in Florida, do I need to get one of these boxes with a light because of the humidity or just a box or whatever? Alright, I, I keep saying this, and I think people are just afraid of it. <laughs> you don't need anything to make Biltong except meat, coriander, black pepper, salt, vinegar, and a string to hang it up with. In Florida, if you were going to make it outside, then I would say you need a box with a light bulb in it to keep it dry because of the humidity. If you're going to make it in your home, which is climate controlled and either heated or air conditioned, it's not humid in your home. It's very dry in your home. You don't need anything except a string hanging up, tie a bunch of loops in it, make your, make clips out, make uh, hooks out of paper clips by taking large paper clips and unbending them so they're like an S hook. One end in the meat, one end through the hoop in the rope. Why the hoop's in the rope? So the meat doesn't all slide together and it stays spaced out. Hang it up in an air-conditioned room, leave it there for about a week and a half, done. That's it. That's all. You don't need anything else. Um, Mike asked what the best cut was for making biltong. Any and all. He was talking about a deer. I never do it with the back straps because they taste too good cooked up. I make most of my biltong out of your back legs. You, you know, your big roasts. A lot of people cut steaks out of those. Uh, and uh, the uh, the butt roast. And I do some out of shoulder, but it's really not the value. I use most of the shoulder. Um, I either make small roasts out of the lower leg, the, the, not the shank and not the shoulder, but that lower shoulder. I usually make that into roast, and everything else I'll turn into hamburger meat. Uh, but the back legs are going to make your best biltong. But you can make it out of anything. Here's the rules. One, you have to cut off all the silver sheen. And if you've ever butchered a deer, you know what I mean. Um, tallow has to go. When you make biltong and it has tallow on it, it tastes like candle wax. The tallow has got to come off the meat before you make biltong out of it. But other than that, any cut you want. The big thing is you want your cuts to be at least an inch thick by an inch wide. You want at least a one inch by one inch cube, and that's the smallest piece of meat you want to turn into biltong. I usually try to cut my strips about two and a half inches wide by an inch thick. You're not making jerky when you're making biltong. Both folks wanted a recipe. I pretty much gave it to you, but I'm going to give it to you again. And there's videos of how, exactly how to do this in the MSV, by the way. Um, what you do, you take your meat. You coat it with salt. Now, you don't cake it with salt. Uh, actually, you spray it with uh, with vinegar first. You don't soak it in vinegar. I'm talking like you get a spray bottle, and you spray it with vinegar. You take a vinegar bottle, you put your finger over it, and you drizzle it. You just get the outside coated with vinegar. I like to use apple cider vinegar. Then you coat it with salt, and it's enough salt. So there's salt everywhere on the outside, but not caked. Don't cake it. I've seen people do that. They're never happy with the results. Then coat it with black pepper. You want black pepper all over the meat as much as you want to taste, but you want quite a bit no matter what. The black pepper is an important agent in the process. And then sprinkle it with ground coriander. This is one that's pretty much done to taste. I like a pretty liberal. Start out with a little bit like coriander is a distinctive flavor that not everybody's in love with. Take that, stick it in the refrigerator overnight. All right? Take it out in the morning. Give it a very light additional sprinkling with salt and, if you'd like, a little bit more black pepper and coriander. Take it, hang it up. It takes about a week and a half to two weeks. And when it's hard on the outside, and when you can bend it and it breaks, it doesn't bend, it's done. 
At that point, the center may be a little moist. I like my biltong a little moist in the center. Some people like it completely dried out. It's up to you how long you want to dry it. But if you want to stop the drying process, it needs to go into something that seals it, like Tupperware or something like that. It does not need to be frozen or refrigerated. It will last longer than you will. You've basically mummified it. But if you don't cut off the air supply to it, it'll continue to dry. It'll get very dry throughout. Now, a lot of people like it that way. That's a traditional way to make it. The recipe I just gave you is a traditional South African biltong. It's the way it's been made in the bush for years. The refrigerator part never happens in the bush because they didn't have a refrigerator. All these boxes and light bulbs, all they're trying to do is replicate dry air temperatures. In South Africa, it was made for millions, not millions of years, thousands and thousands of years, hung from a tree in the shade. The big difference between biltong and jerky, jerky is sun-dried or smoked, cut thin, Biltong is shade-dried and cut thick. That's the big difference between the two. Biltong, to me, is a much superior product. Give it a try. You'll like it. Beef, venison, any red meat makes wonderful biltong. Small game does not. Pork, don't do it. You'll die. It'll kill you uh, eventually. You'll get trichinosis if you eat enough raw pork and you're not cooking it. So don't do it with pork. I, I'm exaggerating when I say it'll kill you. You could be raw pork half your life and never get trichinosis. But the risk is there. Don't eat raw pork. Um, but any red meat, buffalo, elk, deer, all the exotic game like sika deer, uh, fallow deer, all that stuff makes really good biltong. Never tried it out of any sheep or goat species. Um, if I ever do that kind of hunting again, I'll try making a little bit and see. All right, let's move on, though. Um, this is a great question. This is one that makes me go, huh, how would I do this? But I got a great answer after thinking about it. This guy's in the military. His name's Paul. He's an officer. He's been in the military for 13 years. There's a big clamor going on since the Fort Hood shootings that extremist people should maybe be moved out of the military. And, of course, not extremist Muslims that shoot people. No, no, we have to get extremists out that, you know, like, are worried about independence and independent thought and prepping and survival type thinking, right? At least that's what maybe he's worried about. So what he wants to be able to do is continue to share his opinions and his ideas with people without making himself a target, and how would I recommend you do that? The first thought is you got to be real careful. 13 years in an officer, I'm saying minimum captain, if I'm going with army ranks here, so to make it equivalent whatever branch of service, I don't know what branch of service is. Captain minimum in the army, probably a major in the army. Uh, possibly, possibly a light colonel at 13 years in the Army. Now, the thing about being a major or a colonel or even a captain, you shouldn't really be having these types of conversations with, you know, lower enlisted ranks and things like that. You can only talk to your contemporaries uh, because it's just, there's certain things that aren't done in the military, and I know this guy understands, so I want other people to understand this. Your major shouldn't be having in-depth, deep conversations with you about anything, especially political or religious in nature, unless it's official business because there's a chain of command that works both ways. And there's things that are totally acceptable between contemporaries, maybe between a major and his captain, or a major and his colonel, or a major and all his other officer buddies, or a major and very senior NCOs that work closely with him, but you don't have that type of conversation with lower enlisted. So that's for the civilians to understand. I want civilians to understand the military a little bit better. I try to do that every time I get a chance. So you're only with your contemporaries, and they're the people that are most likely to freak out if you say the wrong thing, and they're the ones with the most capability at that level to get something done about it. So you got to be careful there. But here's two ways I know that you can share the mentality and let people come back to you um, that I think are very safe. Number one, use somebody who's seen in a light 
uh, of, of brilliance in the military. Someone who's well respected. Someone who just about every military officer looks at and goes, man, I would love to rise to the level of what that man did. Lieutenant General Honoré who wrote the book Survive, How a Culture of Preparedness Can... I can't remember the rest of the tagline of it, but it's based on building a culture of preparedness in America. General Honoré is the guy that saved the New Orleans operation. It took it from the pits of despair and made it successful, and then went in and prevented it from happening again with Hurricane Rita. Uh, he was a lieutenant general in the Army. Any military officer should be reading his book, because you don't know what day you're going to have to step in and support or even be the command guy like he was for an event like that. No one in the military anywhere could have a discrepancy with somebody recommending that book. So I would even go as far as buying a few copies to hand out. That's very safe because it's your contemporary, in fact, your superior, that had to do something and did it brilliantly and was able to tell the media to go screw and pull it off with class. So that's one place I would go. The other one, uh, not to, you know, tip my own hat here or anything, but I think you could probably share my Veterans Day show with people. I think that would be something that a lot of military people have done, and then it's up to them if they want more. And then the people that are receptive will come back to you. Because a thing for everybody here, don't get a Messiah complex with this stuff. You share things, you build community, do what you can to help other people prepare. Um, but please, don't try to force information on people that don't want it. So recommending resources, and then if they come back to you, then you know they're receptive. Is good advice for all. Tough, tough question that really made me think that's the best I can do with the answer. I hope it's a good one. Uh, next question. Easy one to answer. Guy says, okay, you make beer bread. That's cool. Uh, you cook stuff in a solar oven. That's cool. Seems like the next logical step would be beer bread in a solar oven. Have you even tried it? The answer is no, I haven't. Um, I think it will work fabulously. I'll do it someday uh, whenever it works out. Here's the thing. Beer bread is so quick and easy to make, and it's so good warm on a day like today where it's rainy and nasty and fogged in and things like that. And because of that, when I make bread, I usually actually don't make beer bread. I make regular, old-fashioned, knead it, let it rise, pound it down, let it rise again, bake it bread. And I've done that in a solar oven quite a few times, and that works out just fine. Beer bread, I do a lot of times when I just don't feel like doing a lot of work, because if you've seen the video, the video took me ten minutes to show you how to prep it and put it in the oven, and if I wasn't doing the video, I could do it in five. Then you cook it, you let it cool, and it's done. So it's often made in evenings after work, when I don't have enough time left for the oven, the solar oven to work. It's often made on dark, cold, rainy days when the solar oven's not optimum. So that's why I haven't done it. But I've made regular bread, I've made cornbread in the solar oven, and both have come out fabulous. And uh, next time I get a chance to make some beer bread in the solar oven, I'll do it and let you guys know. But I can't see a reason it wouldn't work. It's probably, instead of an hour in a regular oven, going to run in the solar oven, the, 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 the contained solar oven like I do, probably an hour 15. Uh, but you'll be able to tell by looking at it. And obviously, t times vary depending on solar intensities and things like that. But I'm thinking about an hour 15, it should come out just about perfect uh, in the solar oven. So there's that one. And that came from Kevin. Uh, military question came from Paul. Sorry, guys. I'm getting used to this, uh, giving out first names to try to make these things more personal. So the next question comes from Ray. I'm telling you guys, we got some interesting questions today, some things that make me think, and some things that are humbling. Ray's 10 years old, and Ray listens to my show with his father. Uh, Ray, thank you, man. That's, that's 
a huge, huge compliment to me that a 10-year-old would listen to me. I, I'm blown away. I really am, because we talk about some very adult, very deep things here. Um, and that means you're, you're kind of a special guy, man, that you, uh, that you listen to stuff like this and you get it, and it speaks to you. So thank you for listening first. He wants to know if I have any advice. He also said he's in a podcast group at school. So I'm going to give two different pieces of advice here to Ray, because I'm not really sure which one he was exactly looking for when he said he was looking for advice. So here we go. The first piece of advice, if you're looking for advice as a young man concerned about his future, concerned about prepping, concerned about you know living a smart lifestyle, it's the same thing that I tell everybody else. I'm not going to turn around, young man, and do you the disservice of speaking down to you and saying you need to think differently than the people that I talk to every day on this show. If you're awake and you're aware and you're conscious of what's going on, then you do the same things that I tell everybody else. As you get older, you stay out of debt. While you're young, start saving money. If you can find a way to go out and work your ass off and put away $100 a month between now and the time you're 20 and put that into good, solid portfolio of assets and investments at 20 and leave it alone and do put it away for retirement because you have so much time left at the age of 20 for the next 10 years, if you can do that and you can, then you have a million dollars waiting for you when you retire, even if you never put another dime into it. So start, I don't care if you do it that way, but start saving your money now. Start investing now. Never put yourself in debt. You're awake at 10. You're blessed. Thank the God of your choice for that, whatever you believe in. Be thankful, because it's a huge blessing. Stay true to who you are and find your passion. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. Don't tell yourself what you can't do. Find what you love and work your ass off to build a life around doing what you love. Don't do something because somebody else does it and you admire them. A lot of times young people and even older people confuse themselves. They look at someone and go, well, I really admire that guy that plays basketball or that guy that's on TV or that guy that's uh, an architect or that guy that's whatever or, or, or you know anything like that. Admiring somebody for what they do is not a passion for what they do. It's an interest. Find the thing that you're willing to commit your life to and build your life around that. Now, podcasting. He said you're in a podcast group. I'm not sure if that means a group of kids that listen to podcasts or a group of kids that are learning about doing podcasts. If you want to podcast, I'm giving you the same advice. Find your passion. Something that you love. Something that you live and breathe. Something that is so important to you that you always want to share it with other people. I don't care what it is. And build a podcast or a blog or anything that anybody does in their life. If you want to know what you should do, build it around that. I'm not going to say more than that for now because i got another question that's going to show you. Once again, and I love when this happens, I'm going to get a question from someone a lot older than you at a very different place in their life. And they're going to get some advice that's going to be very germane to you. That's coming in just a second, so hold on and perk up when I get there. Before I get there, though, I have another question. Very simple one. Can I give a shout out to these guys over in Afghanistan that apparently listen to my show. They're at FOB Spurwin Gar. Um, What is FOB? Forward operating base. That means they live in the middle of the shit. That means they're out there putting their butts on the line for us every single day. 
and they're living in a very rough type of conditions. That's what a forward operating base is. Uh, apparently, I'm a big hit at this FOB in Afghanistan. And uh, Sporadic E from the forum wanted to know if I'd give you guys a shout-out. Not only give you guys a shout-out, I'll give you guys a salute, and I'll tell you a heartfelt thank you. And uh, someone from that base that wants to head this up can get in touch with me through a buddy, through an email. Uh, if you just got this podcast today, email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com. I'm looking for like an NCO or a lieutenant or somebody that would be willing to receive packages. I want to make you guys um, our support group, our, our, our group that we support this year. Because you know who we are and you know what we do and you know where it comes from. Uh, but I need somebody specific to send it to that will take care of distributing it and make sure it's done fairly and that type of thing. And make sure that people know where it comes from. Uh, Sporadic E said if we sent it today, you probably wouldn't get it by Christmas. I want to support you guys anyway. You know what? January gets real damn lonely for a soldier deployed. Everybody everybody thinks you at Christmas and everybody forgets you by, you know, except for your family and your friends, everybody forgets you by New Year's Day. So this is New Year's Day, uh, bowl games are over, people go back to work and they have their resolutions, everybody forgets. So if you get your stuff in January or February, I know you'll still want it. So if we can make that happen, let me know. We'll do stockings for soldiers for you guys this year. And again, salute to you guys. Thank you so much. Um, another guy asked a question. When looking for land, do have I ever considered foreclosures, um, sheriff's auctions, you name it, things like that? Uh, yes, I've never found a great deal that way, though. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying that every piece of property that I've ever purchased has been purchased from an individual selling the property um, and generally through a real estate agent. There are some things that I'll, I'll tell you to watch out for if you're going to go into that market. Number one, you could be buying a property from a tax assessor who's claimed it, and you would think that by buying it, you've cleaned up the tax mess. Well, it's not always the case that the taxing body that sees the property is the only body with rights to tax the property. So someone else may have taxed the property and may have a lien against it. So you really need to look deep with your, your, your title searches and things like that when you're buying there and find out if there's any other debts against or liens against the property. A lot of times in a distressed property situation, there are many ways with which uh, the debt or the burden can be passed on. You also need to look at, was it, you know, let's say, seized for illegal activity, and did that illegal activity create any kind of environmental concerns on the property that when you buy it may become your responsibility with the EPA to clean up? In other words... The sheriff's office may have bought this, taken over this old country homestead. And maybe the guy that they took it from was uh, cooking meth or something. And uh, maybe along the way they dumped a bunch of their chemicals in, the, in behind the barn. And the sheriff's office could give a damn. They just want to sell it. They want to make some money off of it. They want to buy a new sheriff's cruiser car or what have you. And they want to put the guy that they arrested in jail and make sure that he loses his assets. That's all good and well. But if you don't know if there's any kind of environmental concerns, the day you buy that property, they become your responsibility. So there's just a lot of little things to check into if you're going to do that. The other thing is with a lot of times with foreclosures, 
you can't necessarily get funding from as many locations. There's a lot of like kind of like pre foreclosure situations where the bank's selling the property, and uh, there's there's just some situations, especially with uh, uh, HUD homes that have been grabbed back, where there's maybe only three or four banks that'll even mortgage that property. Now I don't really understand why that is, but what I'll tell you is that it's harder to get a loan from those people than it is when you have everybody to get a loan from. So there's, it's not the ray of sunshine that all the uh, advertisements and people selling lists uh, paint it to be. Obviously, they don't want you to buy. They don't want. You, they don't care what you buy, except they want you to buy their list or their course or their kit or what have you. So I'm not saying that they're bad people if they're lying to you or anything. I'm just saying it's not. It's not a pocket full of rainbows to go into the foreclosure market. The houses are usually in really bad shape. In fact, right now. Um, they're really getting gutted. When I looked for my house here in Arlington, we looked at a couple houses that were in kind of a bank foreclosure situation where the bank was selling them. They hadn't gone out to auction or anything yet. The bank was trying to recoup early. And, like, every appliance was torn out. A lot of the houses people had actually damaged because they were angry. And you could tell that, like, on the way out, like, the one house, the guy basically cut the living room rug. He cut a strip about a foot wide out of the middle and just pulled up the middle of the And the rug was a beautiful, nice new rug. It wasn't dirty. And uh, he ruined the living room rug. He took the strip of carpet with him. Because he knew it would be, I think you could actually probably fix that pretty easy. If the carpet was a, a kind of a general builder's production carpet, you could probably have a strip put in there and never known. Um, but it was just a, an act of vandalism out of anger and frustration in losing his house. And, and I didn't buy any of those houses because of the condition that they were left in. So uh, it's possible. I'm not saying not to look there. I'm saying when you look, look everywhere. But don't convince yourself that any of those avenues are the way to go. The way to go is to look everywhere. Everywhere, find what works best for you that you can afford and buy sensibly, and then make a go of that. So, yeah, look there, but don't see it as the golden torch. And now the final question of the day, and this is the one that goes back to the earlier question. And our um, lone female of the day sounding off. This is very similar to the question that I answered from a 10-year-old boy. And I'm going to give very similar advice in a different angle because it's a different angle to the question. Becky wants to know what advice I'd give to a person who can attend graduate school for free. Doesn't say how that's going to work out. I don't know if it's a college fund. I don't know if it's a employee sponsored, government sponsored thing. But basically, she has a uh, has a degree in architecture. And her only real option, she says, is engineering, which she's not sure she has the mathematical skills for. I don't know. If you got an architecture degree, you're, you're all right with math. Of course, you know yourself better than anybody else. Um, but what job market would I suggest that she specializes in? Because she doesn't really want to stay in architecture. Wants to do something else with the rest of her life. Um, here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're looking for me to tell you that the, the three hot job sectors of the market going forward are going to be, you know, entrepreneurism, agriculture, and marketing, or whatever, I'm not going to do it because it doesn't matter. Here's the reality. Anything that's worth doing can be a career for anybody that really wants to make it happen. And in every position, in every job in life, there are people that are poor and people that are wealthy. 
teaching's a perfect example. There are really great teachers that make salaries that are about twice minimum wage in inner city schools. But there are those really great teachers who make the most out of their academic career and end up as professors at Ivy League colleges and make a lot of money and get tenure and all that type of thing. And that really great teacher can choose where they want to go, but being a teacher does not equal being poor. Not if you're among the very best and you excel and you make the sacrifices that career will require to earn a six-figure income as a teacher. It can be done, and there's a lot of people that do it. They just don't work for Dallas Public School District, and, and honestly, we shouldn't be giving that school district any more money until they fix their problem. But that's a reality for a teacher. So that reality exists in any profession. So I'm going to tell you the same thing I told that 10-year-old boy. Follow your passion. I don't care what career is supposed to be the best. And let me give you another piece of advice. You are not going to go to graduate school for free. What do I mean by that? I don't care who pays for it. You're going to give up a huge portion of your life, your time, your effort, your talent to acquire a new piece of knowledge. It is going to cost you immensely to get an advanced degree. Don't do it unless you can find something passionate that you want that degree in. And you can see how it's going to further your future. The same time and effort could be applied somewhere else if you find that your passion does not lie in a way that you can take with graduate school. Oh my God, is Jack speaking ill of education? No, I'm speaking ill of an education that you're doing just because you can if it's not what you really want. Now, by all means, if you can find a true passion, something that you crave, that you want to do for the rest of your life, you don't want to go through all the agony that you did to become an architect and quit. And architecture seems to have a lot of that. I know two people with architectural degrees that don't want anything to do with architecture anymore. I don't know what it is about that. But you've already done that to yourself. Never do it again. Find your passion before you make any decisions. What do you love? What can you see yourself doing for the rest of your life? If I handed you a check for $10 million right now and said you can check out, you can do anything you want, after you rode around in a limo for a while, partied, gave away some money to people you really cared about, sat down, bought yourself a big place to live, looked at your big screen TV and said to yourself, hmm, what the hell do I do next? Get the answer to that question today without the $10 million. And go do that. And if it lines up with an educational path, take the educational path with it. Obviously, you're intelligent and you have the talent to get through school because you've already done it in a very difficult course of studies. But if it doesn't align with that, you already have a degree. You can do anything you want. You can have a degree in anything today. It's still a degree. It doesn't hold you back in your career. A master's degree isn't worth what a lot of people seem to think it's worth. I know places that won't hire people with master's degrees, especially for management and sales jobs, because they think that those people think they're worth too much. They have too much education and not enough on-the-ground experience. So don't don't box yourself into anything. And above all, I don't care if you do go to school, start doing something in that career field now and get the education and the experience together. Make any sacrifice you have to if it's what you're passionate about. If you're not willing to make the sacrifice, that's your clue that it's not your passion, that it's not what you love. 
And if you don't know what your passion is and you don't know what you love, find it. Go take vacations, for God's sakes. You're an architect. You make decent money. Take little mini vacations. Go all over the world. Talk to people. Watch what other people do. See what other people do. When you find it, you'll know it. You'll feel it. You'll commit yourself to it before you even have a place to commit to. My advice is completely 100% who I am. Do you know why my show is successful? Because I'm passionate for it. I won't let anything get in the way of it. If I go away for a week, I record five shows in advance and set them up for you guys. So that you guys don't go without a show. You don't do that because it's a way to make money. Every talk radio host I know takes vacations and leaves a guest host behind. I leave me behind. Why? You're worth it. This is my passion. If you want success in any realm of life, whether you're 10 years old or 40 years old, whether you're going to have a high school diploma or a master's or a Ph.D., you have to follow the things that are most passionate in your lives. What do you care most about? What difference do you want to make? And to those that are going, is Jack talking about prepping here anymore? Or we've just gone off to career advice. We're the same thing, folks. How you manage your life and your career is one of the most important things in the world you can think about as a prepper. There's actually nothing more important than that. Because if you figure out how to do what you love and earn enough income in it to provide yourself a life... Turn that income into something that makes your life self-sufficient. Man, now you've really got something, don't you? That's what all of this is about. That's why this show's tagline, living a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. That's why I have that. Because you got to do what's right for you. And people say, it's oversimplified, Jack. That's too simple. It can't be that easy. Well, my, my answer to anybody that's ever told me that, first of all, what's your passion? Most don't know. You can't tell me it's too easy if you haven't done the work to find your passion. It's not easy to find your passion. It takes a lot of work. It took me 20 years of a very successful career in sales and marketing to realize I didn't want anything to do with that world anymore, and this was my passion. So 20 years is not simple. The other thing is if you do know what your passion is, if you're sure, if you're lucky, and you have it identified, have you ever tried it? Have you ever just said, the hell with it all, I'm going to do this. And not a damn thing's going to get in my way. Well, if you haven't done both of those things, then don't tell me it's too simple. Because if it's too simple, if it's so easy, why don't you just do it? Why don't you do it? Do it for a month. Prove me wrong. Anybody can recover from a month of trying to do anything. But if it really is your passion, if you really have it identified, you do it for a month. In that month, you will dig your claws in like a freaking cat. And nothing will pull you away from it. And you'll make it work. And because you're passionate in it, you'll be at the top level of that career field. And that's what people don't get. It doesn't matter that they're hiring X amount of engineers or X amount of telecom people, and you'll always have a job if you go into this. How many careers have we seen ebb and flow through that? Everybody was going to be this, or everybody was going to be that, and there's no limit to how many of these people will need. And 15 years later, we have too many of them because everybody did it. 
And that industry's fallen off at the same time. And now these people have nowhere to go. But the people that went into it, not because they were told this is a good career path, but because they said, I am passionate about this. I want to be the very best at this. When all of their contemporaries got laid off, they stayed the industry leaders. And they stayed at the top income level for that field. And I don't care what career it is. You can tell me any career that had a peak and is now in a valley. And I'll show you people that were in at that peak period that are still there, that were the very best at what they did, that loved it. And today, they earn more money than they did when they were when the peak was there. Because exceptional people excel. The people that excel go to the top. It does work that way. No matter how much you've been lied to about how you're held back or you can't get ahead, that's bullshit. If you work your ass off, you can be the best in the world at anything as long as it's passion behind it with you. That's the difference. So that's what you have to do. And do that in all walks of your lives. Follow your passion. It's not oversimplified. Again, anybody tells me that's oversimplified, have you done it? If you haven't done it, it must not be that simple. And with that, I'm going to wrap up today. Sorry to go off on a tangent there, but folks, there are times when I feel I need to speak to people, and I need to make you understand what's really important for your life. That's what the hell this show's all about. It's not just about preparing for a dark day. It's about making a lot of bright ones on the way to doing that, so if they ever come, you're standing strong and you walk through the storm with your head up. That's what this is about. And with that, I'm going to wrap up. Again, make sure you go by the site. I'll have links for you. Check out our gear shop, T-shirts, patches, all that good stuff. TW and Syswolf are working hard on that, folks. I want you to know the gear shop is not mine. I gave that to them. They pay me a little tiny piece. That's, I'm creating a new, a new source of entrepreneurship there. That's what I'm doing. That's my passion. Setting people up where they can make a go for themselves. So give those guys some business. They could use it. Um, And again, tune back in. But make sure you're doing the things in your life that are really important to you. Again, oversimplified? Have you tried it? Try it. Thanksgiving's coming up. Think about all the things that you're thankful for. That'll lead you to your passion. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough, you can or even scream, if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.